0: trials of this life, all your mercies in disguise.
1: Thank you, ladies, for your ministry this morning. Um, one of the downsides of naming folks who participate in fine arts is inevitably, prayerfully, not everybody is forgotten. Um, I was going to dismiss the kids in just one second, actually. Um, and uh, one of the things I was thinking about while we were while the choir was singing, uh, some of the good good times. Right now that I'm king, things just got even more complicated. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of rephim and david inquired of the lord by the way i want you to follow two fra- two particular phrases one happens twice and one happens only one time but one of the phrases i want you to notice it happens in verse 19 when the text says and david inquired of the lord there is something very specific that sets saul and david apart and one of the key differences between Saul and David was David, the man who was described as a person with a heart after God, was one who saw the importance of prayer. We have the in the record of Saul's life and his kingship, we see multiple times that Saul would take action, and he would do so in his own wisdom, he would do so in his own timing, he would do so in his own strength, and inevitably... It got him into profound trouble. So, in verse 19, the writer says that that David inquired of the Lord, and David said this, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? Notice he doesn't even pray, God, give me the strength to defeat this army. David has, even in his prayer, this recognition that it wasn't his wisdom and his abilities that was going to win this potential fight. He says, God, will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up and I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord, notice again, now David is giving God the credit. The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, again, David prayed, you shall not go up, Go around to the rear and come against them opposite of the balsam tree. This is now God giving David instruction. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, and then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. So the first phrase I want you to see that happens twice is that David inquired of the Lord. And here's the second one I want you to notice, verse 25 And David did it. David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning around this text to to glean from this text what you would have us to learn today. We thank you that we have an example here in Scripture of the importance of prayer, We also have here in Scripture the importance of obedience, that when you do give us an answer that we would obey and you would uh, then direct our steps as we seek to obey you and what you have called us to do. And Lord, I pray that as we now study this text together this morning that you would give me the words to speak clearly in a way that we can understand in a way then that we would leave this place changed and more and more like Christ. So we pray now your blessing on our time around your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I got this, I don't know, crazy idea in my mind that um, there's something in our nation right now called inflation. Maybe you've heard time something about that. Maybe you've heard something about supply chain problems, and you've heard this was actually before the Ukraine situation. But I was thinking about changing out my Air conditioners. I have two of them. And if you know anything about air conditioners, they are not cheap. And my air conditioners, conditioners happen to be 21 years old, but I was determined to get to 25 years. That was my goal. And so, I asked some men that I trust and respect. Some of them happened to be in this room. And I said, what would you do if this was your house? Would you change out working air conditioners and pay thousands of dollars, or would you wait? Every one of them said, why would you fix something that's working? Well, that made a lot of sense to me, and so I decided to follow their advice. But, not that I doubt those people, and some of them are looking at me right now, not that I doubted their advice, but I said, one morning I was just praying, I said, Lord, If this is, I pray this is the right decision, by the way, I don't pray for signs, we can get into that conversation later, I don't generally pray for signs, but I said, Lord, just make this clear for me, like, I really would like to not spend money right now at this moment on things that are working, and money that I don't really want to spend on air conditioners, Lord, make this clear. And I think it was the next day, uh, Jonathan comes downstairs, and he says, Dad, it is hot upstairs. And I said to him, A, you have a sweatshirt on, son. That might be why it's hot upstairs. And so I didn't fully believe his report. And so I went upstairs and it was really hot upstairs. Called my AC guy, long story short, and he says, There is not a drop of coolant in your air conditioner. Like, it is gone. I said, well, we can just fill it and fix it, right? And he goes, sure, if you want to throw money down down the drain, go ahead. You can fix it, but you're wasting your money. Long story short, we have two brand-new, modern-looking air conditioners, heaters that are now heating and cooling our house. This isn't about air conditioners, and it's not about making decisions necessarily. It is, however, about do we come before the Lord... In times when we are facing decisions, do we come to the Lord in prayer on a regular basis? Has your prayer life become a grocery list that you just come before the Lord saying, well, today I need eggs, milk, cheese, and whatever, and you're going to give it to me by the end of the day? Is prayer just the emergency exit in your life that when you get into a jam that you don't have the answer to, you don't know the solution, you have now no other option? So I'll just sprinkle a little prayer in and hopefully and prayerfully get what I want. We're talking about being equipped for life and leadership in this chapter. And if we are going to be equipped for life and leadership... One of the key components to living a life that is obedient to God, that is equipped, that is prepared to be effective as David had human preparation, but David never overlooked the importance of prayer. Because of David's years of experience, he was prepared, humanly speaking, to be king. But David understood that having certain skills and certain abilities was not enough for him to be a godly king, a quote-unquote successful king before the Lord. So life and ministry that brings glory to God must be bathed in prayer. Now, when we look at kind of the historical context of 2 Samuel 5, we see that the Philistines here understand politically where David is. He has just become king. He is a newly crowned king over a combined nation of Israel to the north and Judah to the south. David has been preoccupied with moving his capital from Hebron to the south to Jerusalem. He has been fighting the Jebusites in order to get control over the city. So if you are the Philistines, these perpetual enemies of God's people. David has already fought them when he defeated Goliath and others. We understand that this history goes way back. And the Philistines here see an opportune moment. This new king looks profoundly vulnerable. It seems that perhaps that if they were to now launch this attack to David, that they would be able to defeat them and have victory over them. But on two occasions, the Philistines seek to defeat David and his men, and both times, David's first reaction is not to, not to call the army to get ready to fight. Instead, he falls before the Lord, and he asks Him, God, is this what I should do? Should I go up against the Philistines in battle? Should I fight against this army? And the first time, David is told, go and fight. The second time, he is told, don't go up. Instead, go around the back and seize them from behind. Regardless of the specifics of the battle plan, we know that David was a man who took prayer seriously, a man that would not take action apart from seeking the Lord first. We are reminded that the Israelites' victories, military victories, are a gift from God. Even in this situation, David understands that it was God who was going to provide the victory for him and his people. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 10, we find these words, but when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when He gives you the rest of all your enemies around you so that you live in safety, it was God who was going to give them the land. It was God who was going to to, uh, pave the way for them to have access to the land. Now, I also want you to notice another interesting little tidbit of information that maybe you read past kind of quickly, and we'll come back to this when we get to our application of this text here in a few moments. But in verse 21, notice what the Philistines do. Once it's evident that they are going to be defeated, the Philistines left their idols there and David and his men carried them away. Once the Philistines realized this is a lost battle, they start throwing their gods, the ones made of wood and metal and rocks and things that they were carrying around with them to provide victory for them. They began to throw them on the ground. What's interesting is that we have the parallel passage in first chronicles 14 and that text tells us that account tells us this and he went up to Baal Perazim which by the way means the master of the breakthrough that's why it was named this after this battle because it was God who was the master of the breakthrough it was God who provided this victory and David struck them down there and David said God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood therefore the name of the place is called Baal Perazim And they left their gods there. And listen to the information that this parallel passage gives us. They, the Philistines, left their gods there. And David gave command. And they burned them. Why is that important? David, not only was he a man of prayer, he understood what these false gods were. Normal kings, when you defeated an army, you took possession of their kings, or excuse me, their gods, so that you could glean their power from their gods and add them to your collection of gods to cover more of your bases so that you would have more and more divine protection. David doesn't do that. Rather than collecting these these gods to be a part of his collection of idols, he has them burned and destroyed because he understood that there was no power in them, that it was the God of heaven that had delivered them in this battle. Other kings likely would have taken these forsaken gods and sought their power. But because David's faith was in the creator God and that he was the only true God, he understood they were of absolute power no value this morning i want to spend the rest of our time on applying this text to us the text is pretty straightforward we have a battle we have a man willing to pray we have a man who recognizes the falsehood of these pagan gods and we have a man who was willing to obey what God asked him to do. And rather than praying and doing his own thing, he prays and obeys. When David became king, he knew that there would be many battles to fight. Therefore, he refused at this point in time to shy away from the Philistines. But instead, he first rooted his battle in prayer. In the book, The Battle Plan for Prayer, we find this definition by, the, by Stephen and Alex Kendrick who said this, prayer at its heart is communicating with God. It's simply speaking with your creator. Marriage, marriages generally don't survive when husbands and wives don't speak to one another. And how can we as believers claim to have a relationship with our Creator God and yet never have communication with Him? If, in fact, prayer at heart is simply communicating with God, it's simply a conversation, then it would seem that we as believers should regularly come before the Lord in a spirit of reverence, sincerity, and openness, and coming before our Creator God on a regular basis. While there are countless compelling reasons not to pray, excuse me, let me restate that, there are countless compelling reasons to pray, we find a thousand of excuses to avoid humbling ourselves before the Lord. The most common reason I would suggest to you is the reason of self-sufficiency. We don't pray because we, quite frankly, don't see the need for it. Every day that we go without prayer, every day that we go without seeking the Lord in our daily lives is a day that we are saying to our Creator, I don't need you. There's nothing in my world that I can't handle on my own. There is nothing that's going to come my way to the course of this day that you have given to me that I'm going to need you for. That is the root, the heart of self-sufficiency. Think about it. Each and every one of us have a strong tendency to rely on our intelligence, to rely on our personality, to rely on our experiences, our methods, and our skills because we have seen, we have tasted some level of positive results because of our abilities. Imagine David He looks out over the hill and he sees the Philistines gathering together to come out and fight against him. If David was a man who was going to rest on his own experience, he was going to rest on his intelligence, he was going to rest on his abilities, and he was going to rest on his military methodology, he would have simply said, all right, boys, let's go win this fight because these guys, we, we got this. We can take them. And every day that we look at the challenges of life and we think to ourselves, I got this. I don't need prayer for that. I've done this a thousand times. When I thought about this from the perspective of ministry, not all of us here this morning are in what we conveniently call vocational ministry, but when we think about ministry in general, I was thinking about preaching. Preaching really is not all that difficult, all you need is a few basic skills. All you need to preach a sermon is a basic study method of scripture, some public speaking principles, a charismatic or sufficient personality, and you can do the act of preaching. You can have music ability and do the act of singing. You can have teaching ability and walk in front of a classroom and teach. And you can do all of those things doing that, resting and trusting in your own gifts and abilities. But we have to understand that without prayer, we can use our God-given talents in these things, but the success that we may see, success in quotation marks, is not under God's divine care. No matter your vocation, we have to implement a prayerful dependence on God. Think about the New Testament for a moment and what it says about prayer. First Thessalonians five seventeen: Pray without ceasing. Philippians four six: Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not be debilitated by the challenges of, of life by anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Peter 3.7, I think, is instructive for us. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's interesting what the New Testament says about prayer. And again, normally we pray only in the times when we can't work out a solution to our problem on our own. After we've tried every trick that we've learned, every option that we have tried in the past that may work, then we get around to praying. When a business owner wants a contract, he or she prays, Lord, give me the business. When a student wants a good grade, he or she prays, Lord, give me the grade. When a person wants a house or an air conditioner, he prays, Lord, give me the house. When a person has a problem they can't be solved, Lord, give me the solution. When a person wants relief from a trial, Lord, give me deliverance. You notice the prayer? Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me. Here's my shopping list. Provide what I'm asking and do it now. Is that prayer? It's a type of prayer. But when our prayer lives simply revolve about what we want, about what we demand, what we believe we deserve, how quickly do you come to the realization that prayer is a waste of time? The song that these two girls just sang. What happens when your answers to prayer don't come the way you believe they should go? Prayer didn't work. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I didn't get the job. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I still got a C. I didn't study either, by the way. We quickly fall into this trap when prayer becomes a grocery list that when I get home and my cart is empty, I come to the realization prayer is a waste of time. The desire to get what we want from God, if we're honest, dominates most of our prayer lives. Prayer becomes more effective, I would submit to you, when we stop using prayer as a way to get what we want, and instead focusing our prayers and our attention on obeying God's commandments. A.W. Tozer said this, by the way, his book on prayer, in my opinion, is the best one I've ever read. He said, prayer is the respiratory function of the church. Without it, we suffocate and die. We are commanded to pray. We know that. We understand that. So I'm going to do something I don't do often this morning. I'm going to give you 10 prayer requests that I try to pray every day. Not because they're inspired. Not because they're perfect. Not because the list is what you need to do, I just want to illustrate how the Lord has been working in my personal prayer life and in my life of my top 10 prayer requests that I try to pray for each and every day. Number one, Lord, remind me of your majesty. Prayer is not simply the means through which we get everything we desire. Prayer directs our hearts and our thinking toward God and toward His holiness. Psalm 145 verse 5 says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your, on your wondrous works I will meditate. I love Exodus 33, verses 17 and 18. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. When's the last time you prayed that? Lord, today all I want from you is to remind me of who you are. Remind me of your awesomeness. Remind me of your glory. Remind me that apart from me, I can do nothing. Remind me, God, that this world is not mine. It's yours. Remind me, God, that my circumstances are in your sovereign care. God, please show me today your glory. I don't know what works for you, but I'll tell you what works for me. When I walk out and I see the moon in the sky... And the sun coming up on the horizon. And I see the beauty of God's creation. I am reminded each and every day, God, you are majestic. This world belongs to you. Do you start your day that way? I didn't for a long time. But I try hard. The first words of my prayer every morning is, Lord, remind me of your glory. Number two, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I'm more specific than that. I won't do that in front of you. Not a day goes by that you don't sin. Not a day goes by that I don't sin. God's grace is not a license to sin. Therefore, we are to repent when we sin against God. And it's not the simple cover all, Lord forgive me, I know I'm a sinner, thank you very much. But as John says in First John one eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, confession is far more specific. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. By the way, when I pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin, I then ask the next question, Lord, show me if there's something I should do about that. Did I I wound somebody with my words? Did I do something that was real or perceived, understood to be an an insult to someone. Lord, if there is someone I have offended, please, God, reveal that to me. Number three, Lord, fill my grace, excuse me, fill my heart with the grace that I need to love other people. As redeemed sinners, we must admit that we do not consistently love our neighbors and enemies. As we are commanded. In order to love our neighbors and enemies as ourselves, we need the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I've said this for a long time the person in your life that gets under your skin the most is a gift from God. They are absolutely His divine gift for you. Because that person reveals sin in your own heart. It reveals, he or she reveals your own sinful tendencies. It also then draws us, Lord, I need strength and ability to love other people the way that I already love myself way too much. God, I need your strength to do that. Do you pray for your enemies? By the way, not Lord, please bring misery into their lives. Not that. Lord, help me to love them. Help me to honor them. Help me to be patient with them. Help me, God, power me to love others even when they irritate me, even when they bother me. First Thessalonians, Paul said, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Do you pray that? Number four. Lord, bestow upon me the strength and wisdom that I require. In our times of weariness, we need God's strength. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by life? Do you ever look at your schedule and say, how am I ever going to manage this? There's no way. And I don't know about you, but when I pray, Lord, I need your strength right now, I have yet to be failed. Every time when I look at my calendar forward, I'm scratching my head thinking how, and I look, when I'm through that section of my calendar, I look back and say, God, you are so gracious. Somehow, you helped me, empowered me, To persevere through that time? Or what about in our times of confusion? We need God's divine wisdom, His help, His strength, His direction. Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, and we, since the day uh, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding." I'll go ahead and read the next part of this verse because it goes into the next number five on my list here. Is that, Lord, um, help me so that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I won't reread that verse Um, in a minute because there's a couple of others that come from that. But first, I want you to see, Lord, bestow upon me this strength, this understanding, this wisdom that I need. And then number five, Lord, empower me to live in a manner that is worthy of your name. No matter how long you have been walking with the Lord, no matter how long you have been a believer, you're still not fully pleasing to Him. In the sense that we are all still sinful. We all still come short of God's glory. We need God's divine power as we encounter new opportunities and new challenges each and every day. And when those challenges come, Lord, help me and strengthen me to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Number six, Lord, empower me to be fruitful. As we mature in Christ, we expect to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Our giftedness will only take us so far. If we can explain the results, of what we see by our own action, then there's an indication that we are not praying. There should be a supernatural element to what we are attempting to do in our own weakened state in order to minister for the cause of Christ. We should see answers to prayer and the Lord working beyond our giftedness and our ability. Jesus said this in John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Without prayerful reliance on the Lord for fruit in our lives, we are simply doing ministry and life in our own strength. During our Connect group today, we were talking about ministering in a confused world and the last one on that list was the power prayer you can't change anybody you can't change your wife your husband your son your daughter your cousin your aunt your neighbor you can't change them but god can people are not a project to fix Instead, they are human beings created in the image of Almighty God, that if there is fruit from our efforts, may it be that we see the divine working in that person's heart and life. Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. Number seven, Lord, give me the boldness to speak the truth. Speaking the truth includes speaking the truth to believers, some of of whom don't want to hear it. But God, give me the strength to speak what is true to fellow believers, even when it's not convenient or easy. God, give me the power and the strength to speak the truth of the gospel to those who do not believe and might reject, right, reject the gospel. God, give me strength to speak the truth. Then number eight, Lord, protect me from evil. Knowing that we will meet opposition, hostility, and temptation, we need God's protection. Why, friend, are you shocked when temptation comes your way? Why are you unprepared when temptation comes your way? Why are we shocked when hostility comes our way? Why are we shocked when division happens or when conflict happens? Those things, Jesus said, are to be expected. But Lord, protect me from evil. In Matthew 6, 13, in the sermon on in, in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Number nine, Lord, provide for me what I need today. God has promised to meet our daily needs. His provisions are Sufficient for this day. I love Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And then my final one, number 10. Lord, empower me to be generous with my time, talent, and money. Our culture is one of excess, isn't it? And many sections of our economy are fueled by dissatisfaction and discontentment. Scores of Americans seek worldly possessions as a means to numb their souls. And while material possessions provide this temporary relief and pleasure, they cannot produce lasting satisfaction in our lives. Psalm 112 verse 5 said, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. I just, last past Wednesday night in my Wednesday night class, we talked about the issue of generosity. And actually to warn you, I'm going to do a message along a similar vein very, very soon, potentially even as early as next Sunday. And in my preparation for that Wednesday night class, I came across a very interesting statistic. The rate, the giving rate of believers today in 2022. You ready for this? The average Christian gives less of their income today than they did in the Great Depression. That ought to stun us. I think, I don't remember, I won't give you the exact number. If I do the message next week, I'll give it to you then. Less than the Great Depression lord i don't know about you but lord help me to be generous with my time with my talent with my money for most of us generosity doesn't come easily so those are my prayer lists yes i pray for specific needs i pray for people in our church i pray for people in my family for their health needs and that sort of thing of course But I would argue that these prayers are ones that prepare us for life and ministry. In our last couple of minutes, I want to draw for, for you one lesson from the Philistines. There's not much we can learn from the Philistines, but here's one. I beg you to leave your idols behind, because they are of no assistance to you. In order to pray effectively... You have to forsake your idol, your idol of control, your idol of comfort, and most importantly, your idol of self-sufficiency. When we believe we have everything within us to achieve what we desire, we don't need God. We don't need to pray. We don't need His wisdom, His direction. I remind you of James chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, and the Lord of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, after many years of waiting, David has become king. David, as we have seen, was a man of character. He was prepared to be king. He had life uh, circumstances and experiences that prepared him for this time. He was a warrior. He was a leader. He was all of those things. He was gifted, but he understood the need for prayer. He understood that character and preparation for life and ministry are necessary, but success, true success in ministry only happens when life and ministry is bathed in prayer. And so my question for you in closing is simply this, what does your prayer life look like? This is one of those, if you will, topics that it's easy because I think all of us are probably feel in, insufficient in our prayer lives, and, and I don't mean to kind of compound that, but I ask you to think sincerely. What is your prayer life like? Lord, thank you for this day. Help it to all really go well. Thank you. Amen. Lord, help me drive really safely and get there safely. Thank you. Amen. Lord, I got this really big problem. I would appreciate it if you'd handle it in the next 25 minutes. That'd be great. If that's our prayer lives... Might it be that's why we're not seeing God do miraculous things? If in fact, Mr. Tozer is correct, that prayer is our respiratory system, is that why we're suffocating? Is that why we are spiritually shriveled and dying? I implore all of us, to pray in such a way that prepares us for life and ministry so that when something great happens we make sure all the glory goes to him let's pray father we thank you this morning for this text and this reminder in all of our lives of the need of prayer god i pray now that as we um, observe baptism we thank you for those that are coming now to follow your lead in baptism that uh, we would be reminded of the importance of, of baptism the importance of salvation and so god bless now these last few moments of our service and as we sing in just a moment i pray that you would help us to respond as you're working in our hearts today and, and that we would respond in such a way that brings glory to you and we pray this in jesus name Amen. We ask Pastor West to come and lead us in a song um, of response. As always, you can come pray here at the front if you want, or pray where you are. Or if you want to talk with someone, we can certainly arrange that as well. And then in just a moment, we'll be observing baptism.
2: I'd like us to take one more opportunity to sing this song that we've been learning. Our new song as a congregation, probably won't sing it again for a few weeks. So uh, let's stand and let's sing it together, Psalm 150, as we prepare for baptism.
1: church was given as a picture an outward picture of an inward reality in other words the two that are coming today for baptism have already put their faith in christ they have already accepted jesus christ as their personal savior and they are coming today as an outward picture demonstration of their faith in christ so it's an outward picture of an inward reality and so we have two family members um, coming today for baptism uh, we'll get started with Cindy. Come on. This is Cindy. Uh, many of you know her as Carrie Bloom's mom. Is that okay? <laughs> um, so Cindy, uh, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Yes, I do. And you know for sure that Cindy had talked to me this week and had never been baptized by immersion, and so asked to do that here with us today. So, Cindy, it is based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. sure that you would be in heaven for all eternity today if you should uh, die today, and you want to use your life for his glory and serve him, saying, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son. Father, we thank you so much for uh, these two fine folks that have come and, and, and shared with us their faith in Christ and publicly now followed you in Believer's Baptism. I pray that maybe there's some here today that has never yet uh, put their faith in Christ, that uh, maybe they would believe and come to know you personally. And there may be some who have never followed the Lord in Baptism. I pray that today uh, they may do that soon in their, in their spiritual walk with you. Dismiss us now with your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name.